Hey guys, I'm Mark Potter. Welcome to another episode of Brushstrokes, a podcast powered by Canvas Magazine. Guys, today's episode is brought to you by my friends at AP Tech. AP Tech is a wonderful group of people and they are doing great things for this industry. They are trying to support new endeavors and trying to connect you with new verticals like higher education, health and wellness, food and beverage. They're creating content in those spaces and building communities that you can ultimately engage with. So you need to check out AP Tech and understand a little bit more about what they are doing to support you. Go to printtechnologies.org and check them out. I know that many of you know that I'm a hockey junkie. I got kids that play. I play really, really bad beer league hockey. And I'm also a voracious reader. I love to read books. I love to read about leadership and strategy and marketing. And I also like to throw in a hockey book every once in a while. And so when it comes together, and I can marry the two together, you can imagine that uh, it's gonna be a real page turner. Well, that's the case with my guest today. And I am super, super stoked to share this conversation with, with you guys. Jerry Rollins is the son of Al Rollins. Al Rollins was a, a really, really good goaltender won the Vezina, which is the best goaltender in the NHL, won the Stanley Cup with Toronto. And his son, Jerry, grew up in British Columbia and became a hockey player himself and played junior hockey and then even got into the pros. Never really made it to the NHL, but was rubbing elbows and playing beside people like Wayne Gretzky in Indianapolis when Wayne Gretzky first started. But the big thing about Jerry was that he was a fighter. He was an enforcer. He was a big dude, 6'3", 200 pounds, had the flowing locks, nice mustache, kind of a good look for the Johnstown Chiefs, if you remember the movie Slapshot. And he learned how to fight to kind of stay around. That's kind of how he kind of got going in the world of hockey and and made his name. And so the irony is that here's this, and you hear this all the time, that these fighters are really, really great guys. Well, Jerry goes on to a remarkable amount of business success. And, and, And sometimes in the imaging sector of the world, he's bought and sold companies, managed you know, multi-million dollar businesses, and he has been a remarkable, remarkable success. So it's really, really cool to be able to marry these two loves of mine together and talk to a guy who lived it. And he wrote this book called Enforcer to Entrepreneur, Achieving Hockey Stick Growth in Life, Business, and Sports. And Jerry's stories, I could probably talk to him for days about the stories he's got. In fact, I'm going to jump into the conversation as he's telling me about fighting a guy named Clark Gillies. Now, again, if you're not a hockey fan, Clark Gillies back in the day played for the New York Islanders. And the New York Islanders won four 
straight Stanley Cups in the late 70s. And Clark Gillies was actually pretty skilled, but he was a tough dude. And he, as Jerry calls him, top 10 toughest guys you know he knows of in the league. And Jerry fought him, and he was talking about the fact that he didn't know who he was. And, and so we jump into the conversation right then. But what's important is listen to the lessons of his life. Listen to how he he is a fighter, and he, he kept pushing forward. And in the moment, he knew what he had to do. But then he learned along the way to be this lifelong learner and to plan. And so his recipe for success is remarkable. And I just think that uh, the book is a fantastic read. Again, it's enforcer to entrepreneur, but don't listen to me. Take his word for it as I jump in and listening to him talking about his fight with with Clark Gillies. Enjoy. In, in many things, if I'd known who he was before the game, even had a clue who anybody in that league was, I probably wouldn't have let my gloves fall off. <laughs> admitting, admitted, I just probably would have said, Hey, sorry, I knocked you down and skated away. Right? <laughs> yeah, you know he, he was... said when he got up, I said, "You're not supposed to get up and drop my gloves." Yeah. And then he's like, "Who the hell is this? You know, skinny little kid?" And came after me again, and and we got thrown out of the game, and had I think we had one more fight a year later. It was a pretty good fight. Oh my gosh! So, uh, yeah. Were you yeah, scared? I mean, I mean, you're fighting Clark Gillies for crying out loud! Great Islander, great, you know. No, no. Uh, it, 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 you can't. You can't be at that time. You can't be scared, right? Because you don't know. You can't be scared of what you don't know. Now, at later times, when I went into Medicine Hat and found out this crazy man Bob Gassoff was there, and McCrimmon, I mean Brian Maxwell. I mean, they had these freaking monsters on the team. Yeah, I was terrified. Right. To say you aren't and you don't lose sleep the night before as a 17-year-old kid is simply a lie. Oh, my gosh. As I would tell you, if if somebody wasn't afraid, as my junior coach told me, if they're not afraid, they're just crazy. And those are the ones you want to be afraid, really afraid of. Right, right. I mean, and and, and I, I think that's, I mean, that's amazing. So, I mean, and you were, you grew up in British Columbia and then you went to this small town. Yep. And, and so you talked yep. a little bit at the beginning of the book, you talk about, you know, the adjustment to the small town and, you know, and yep. here you are, you're like, I'm going to go play hockey. It's part of who I am and don't really know what I'm figuring out yet. Then you're fighting and these, these guys. So, uh-huh. um, and, and then you kind of, you're starting to grow up. Are you at all at any time? <laughs> as a young guy playing hockey and you see guys like Gretzky where you played with him in, in Indianapolis and are you, are you contemplating, you know, what's going to happen after, or are you at that point day to day? You know, it's a very, very appropriate question. When you're in the moment, you think it's going to last forever. So when I signed my first contract, I remember I signed it in Maple Leaf Gardens, the Toronto Toros. Mm-hmm. And Napier and I signed the same day. He was the first round draft choice. I was, or he was an underage. They didn't even call it first round. And I was second and we signed our agreements in Maple Leaf Gardens. And I remember getting my pretend signing bonus because it wasn't really money. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they like to show it in a picture, but it wasn't real. I only got half of that. And then the next year, the other half they couldn't pay because they didn't have it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I got that. And I remember going and sleeping in St. Catharines that night where I was staying and going. I added up the numbers and I said, shit, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm 20. By the time I'm 30, I'm going to be a millionaire. <laughs> and in 1975, I, that seemed like a lot of money because I'm going to make, you know, 70 to 100 grand a year, it'll go up. I'll be a millionaire at 30. And then, you know, boy, I'll never have to work another day in my life. Right. Right. And, you know, fast forward, you know, three contracts later, four years later, with teams folding all over the place, I got some of that money, but not a lot of it. But the good news is I got enough out of it that I could go out and support starting me in business. So, kind of like while I got going, it was some capital to get me started and also some capital to help us buy our first house. And so it allowed me to kind of go to school on the job and not quit mm-hmm. when it got, you know, when it got tough. Cause you know, it's hard to go into business when you have no experience. Right. So, so yeah, it, you know, it taught me some lessons about, uh, but no, you're, you know, even in my last year when I signed with Indy, it's like, okay, I've got three years left. So heck, I'll be 27. I'll sign one more contract after that. And I'll be, you know, set financially. Right. You just, you don't have any concept of money and you don't, you don't know that your agent takes X percent and you spend this on this. And then half the time they don't pay you yeah. <laughs> back in those days. And, uh, see, you know, you just don't get it. So, right. you know, it taught me, it, it, it taught me to not take anything for granted and to control my own destiny as compared to be a plaything of some rich owner, which is, you know, most of the owners in those days were rich second generation money, right? Which is usually stupid money. Right, 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 right. You know, it's interesting. It dawns on me and, and obviously, I, look, I could, I, I, I could just listen to you tell me hockey stories uh all day long uh obviously um and that's and i think the beauty of your book it underscores a couple things and in that i am passionate about you know i've got two kids Mm -hmm. um we're in the middle of this um really nutty world with the pandemic and Um, so there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of ambiguity and a lot of scared people. And so when I think, and I hear you telling these hockey stories about being a young kid and making his way and just kind of going through it and pushing forward and, um, you know, and you're telling these stories and you could probably name drop till the cows come home. But, Uh you know, I worry about the generations that are now coming. You know, I look at my kids uh-huh. and, and, you know, even I grew up, I always tell this, you know, I tell, talk about how, you know, I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania and I, and, and, um, you know, I, I, little town and ran around and I have all these stories and I could tell you stories you know, just about my childhood till the cows come home. I worry that we are, we are, we've got generations coming up and they don't have the ability to tell any stories. You know, they don't have any experiences. They're, they're so, uh, you know addicted to technology and and it is a scary time so i see on one side and and i'd love to hear your thoughts on that there's an analogy there of Mm -hmm. gosh you got to have these experiences and as a young kid 
because because then the next piece is you know you're you're going to this planning piece like I gotta I gotta get planning but to think I gotta have these experiences too right so now I can tell all these stories and I can I can connect with people by painting a picture of this time and it's also beautiful because you know I can't just Google it and pull up a YouTube video and go ah Jerry you know that that fish was actually a lot smaller than you told me right. You know, we, we tell, yep. we, and there's, a, we're lacking a little bit of mystery there. And I think, do you, do you have, do you take a lot of pride in that, 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 you know, and in some, you know what, I think, I think we shortchange and, you know, I'm, I'm a student of history. Um, I think we shortchange every generation. So right. my parents' generation or the generation before them, you know, the, the people from the second world war said, oh, the next generation soft. They didn't have to fight in a war, right? right? The generation before that said, oh, this generation, maybe they had a war, but they didn't go through the Great Depression. And, <laughs> you know, I think the kids today are going through something that's never happened in our history since probably 1918 or the Great Plagues of Europe. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think they're going to learn some lessons there. Are they technologically advanced? Hell yeah. But, um, you know, I, I think, I think kids, if they're raised with good values, I don't care if they know how to use technology or anything else. I think values are values and they were values when my father was being raised on the farm. They were values when I was being raised in, you know, Calgary and Vancouver. And when you were being raised, so, if you're raising your kids with good values, I think it's timeless. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I do think we, you know, I do think in many cases, kids have lost their way in terms of, uh, you know, you know, in some cases, I think, I think religious values are very important to people fundamentally or foundationally. Mm-hmm. And I think we've gotten away from some of those things. Yeah. I think, the country has and you know does that concern me yeah yeah the counterculture uh does concern me but 100%. i i believe you know that uh good people will raise good kids and good kids will raise good kids and that will continue forever yeah no i 100 so percent agree faith. i have i have faith yeah, yeah i mean I, i've got i've got uh god kids who are in their 30s who are great members of society who are raising good kids who are have foundations that are solid i mean they're better than i was at that age right much better yeah no you're right i listen i i I completely agree i do think that we've um you know we got to have faith there's got to be some a value regardless of Uh how you practice it you got to have a value system and right now you're you're right we've abandoned that and that's where we're at and my concern with the generation they will have you know they if you're exactly right that if they're shepherded through this time with good values and that's what i'm doing trying to do with my kids so that they do have stories so that my son you know my son's 17 and he's playing juniors and he's you know he's a senior in high school and finishing school and online and he's playing with 20 year olds and 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 it's and he's got stories and um he came yeah. over he came home there's, for christmas there's a clark there's a clark gillies in his league Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's. I'm telling you, he was holding court over Christmas. He came back. He's telling, but there's this one guy on his team, and it's and it was hysterical. 
And so uh, that's the thing is that, you know, I think you're right. If you have that core value and you obviously did, and then you can look back at those stories and you can share them. And I think that's fantastic. But at some point you then decided, listen, I got, you know, um, I got to, the hockey's been great and it's and so yep. at some point you started to go okay now i gotta jump in and what the heck am i gonna do and and um you know along the line i mean obviously this is one of your later chapters chapters you talk about learning and lifelong learning but you you knew kind of early to be a sponge going back to what you're uh-huh. talking about um before we got started about taking notes you know that's when you started getting into this and you started to figure out um, some things along the way. Is that right? Yeah. You know, I always loved reading and, you know, until my teen years, I was a really good student, but education at the time, although a great education system in Canada, um, it's interesting Mm -hmm. when I moved to the States for a year for one of my dad's coaching jobs is when I kind of got off the rails because, School was so backwards where we, where I went without mentioning the name. It was like I could have taught the classes. Right. And I, I mean, I was bored. And from that point forward, I just never could get back into school because it was just too freaking slow for me. Right. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, people need to learn at their own rate and um, what I learned is that I don't like classroom learning. If you give me an online course, I'm going to be fine. I'll do it. I'll, uh, I'll read it too fast. I'll take the test too fast, and I'll make mistakes because of that, but that's me. Right. And I was criticized for that when I was in grade two or in three because I read too fast because my mom taught me to read really early. And teachers used to get mad at me because I'd finished the book when the other students took four hours it'd take me an hour. And it was like, well, they're stupid. I'm not, you know, I'm not smart. (laughs) They're just not very smart. (laughs) So, you know, I, I, I learned that, you know, I, I learn at a speed, a rate of speed, and I'm certainly not a genius, but read, you know, the skills of reading and writing, and math, if I was to say I was going to teach kids something, those are three things that I learned. My math skills are excellent, and they help me in business because right. financially being able to figure things out makes a lot of sense. Right. You know, your reading skills and comprehension are important. I know people that don't read books. And, you know, well, how do you gain knowledge? Well, I watch TV or I mm-hmm. listen to pot, you know. Podcasts are great, but you got to read too, Absolutely. because there is something about the visualization of reading, and you know, doing that to ingrain it in your brain. Well, listen, I, I mean, you're, you're, you know, my this, the the people that listen to this podcast, you know, they're they're uh, predominantly from the uh, printing, marketing services, creative industry, and and sure. So uh, what we collectively do is is got the the um, it's got the haptic nature of print, and and yeah, I'm trying to tell my kids, you know, I, I just bought my uh, my daughter, um, you know, the Lamoureux sisters just retired, and so they wrote a book, and and I got uh, bought that for her, and I said, you know, buy, 
Yep. Put down, put down the phone, and and do this. I've been reading books. You know, I just, I, I, I obviously just read yours. I read Brian Burke's book, which was really great. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, gotta uh, read, gotta read Goldie's book. <laughs> oh yeah, I got to I got to check that out. Um, but you're absolutely yeah. right, and I and I think there's there's that's part of that. Maybe there's some some hope that uh, that we come back. Let's talk a little bit about. So all right, so now you transition to the to the. Um, to the business world, and obviously you've had remarkable uh-huh. success, and and and, um, but your big thing right off the bat is is about planning, and uh, you know I wrote uh-huh. down, you know you had said even a bad plan, well performed and focused on daily will defeat no plan at all most of the time, and um, yeah. I just I thought you could talk a little bit about that because. Right sure. now, in in our industry is a lot of you know mid sized businesses and and planning right now is got to be hard. And I'm wondering with your especially with your consulting clients, what you're telling them because I mean mm-hmm. it's hard to even see three feet in front of yourself right now. And I, sure. I wonder what your message is. I mean, you know, talk a little bit about your message overall on planning and why it's so critically important. And here's this enforcer guy that all of a sudden figures out, hey, I got to get a plan down. But then also maybe a little bit about yep. the current landscape. Sure. So I believe everything is simple. <laughs> okay. So first I'll talk about game plans and, and I'll relate it to sports for just a minute. So two of the best three of the best coaches I ever knew. So my junior hockey coach had like a 62% winning percentage. My uh, a gentleman I got to know later in life, John Wooden had an amazing, amazing winning perspective, you know, percentage. Right. And then, you know, I was always a student of Lombardi. And so those three guys had simple game plans. They took average players, put them in simple game plans, repeated the hell out of them, and they were successful. And they never varied. Right. Um, When I look at teams that are confused in pro sports or teams that are confused in business, it's because the business doesn't have a plan. So if you're saying small to medium, I don't care if it's three employees to 10,000 employees. If you don't have a specific, actionable plan every day, yourself which most small to medium businesses don't right the results will be accidental right and if you want to be accidental in your actions you know oh well so i believe today so when covid hit i took my one-year business plan so i have a you know a one-year business plan broken down into months and the months are into Weeks and the weeks are in the days, right? Mm-hmm. And so I took it, I made modifications, and I said, you know, in 24 hours, I said, this is what we're going to do. And we did it. Hmm. And I think having been through challenges in business that, you know, would have put most companies away, because I had that ability to take our plan and say, you know, these, you know, the old Japanese. Uh, uh, you know, five and 10 and 20 year business plans. That's a bunch of crap in my view. Right. So I believe now you have one year plans, but they rotate, meaning they go forwards and backwards. So as soon as you complete January and February, then you're into January and February of next year planning, Mm -hmm. but then you bring it back and you have things you do every day Hmm. that you always do every day. 
right. every day. You never, you never miss. And everybody in your company has things they do every day. Right. And they don't vary. And, and at the end of each day, you go back and look and say, did you do your two to three or four things? Right. And if you did, great. If you didn't, you didn't do anything. What did you do? And so right. many people end the day reacting to what's going on versus being proactive and making things happen. And th- so I think it's simple. Just write down what's going to make you successful. And I think I use the analogy of, you know, I decided however many years, five, six years ago, okay, you know, I kind of got fat. And I, I'm big. People didn't call me fat. They obviously was big. You know, I was 6'3", 239. <laughs> right. And I've got a big frame, so I carried it well, you know, didn't look fat. The doctor didn't tell me I was fat. But the doctor, I remember a young doctor, my <laughs> wife called him Dr. McDreamy because he was so good looking. Right. All the nurses and everybody, oh, this guy was good looking. Right. And Dr. McDreamy said, hey, Jerry, next year when you turn, I think it was 50, so, no, 55. Next year when you turn 55, I'm putting you on lipid reducers and everything because you're going to need to because your cholesterol's going up. Hmm. And my dad died of heart disease and had a heart problem all his life. So I went, oh, really? Interesting. So what will stop you? Because, you know, that was like, to me, he dropped the gloves. This handsome, young, fit guy looks at me. Oh, Jerry, you can't do it on your own. You're 55 years old. Right. And so, yeah, just, just you know, I'll give it to you next year. I said, okay, let's, let's play a game. Give me 90 days. Give me a number. And if in 90 days I do that, then I want you to apologize. <laughs> right. And so we did a weight loss, a cholesterol, a, you know, took all the different tests. And he said, if you can do all this, I'll apologize. And he ended up apologizing. Oh, that's great. And I saw him about a month ago. And, you know, it's 10 years later. He was riding his bike with his two kids. And he looked at me and said, oh, my God, because, you know, I'm 50 pounds lighter. Wow. And, yeah, it's actually, you know, I actually now want to gain weight. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think you break that. So what did I do? I went home and said, this is my diet. I'm not going to drink anymore because alcohol has too much sugar. And I liked a glass of a beer or a glass of wine, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to eat this. I'm going to go totally, you know, low carb, high vegetables, fruit, you know, all the good stuff, mm-hmm. but not a lot of bread and rice and meat, you know, and, and potatoes. And, you know, started going in the right direction. But I needed to be, I needed somebody to kind of come and punch me in the face, which he did politely. Right. And he didn't even know he did it. It's just, it pissed me off so much <laughs> that, I, that I did it. And so, you know, then you become like a, an evangelist. Well, if you've got a problem, go do it. You know, don't talk about it. Fix it. Right. I mean, it you wouldn't. Know, it, it, listening to people. It, it wouldn't have had as much impact if he was ugly. No, no. You, if he was, if he was, you know, a three hundred pound, like fat, ugly doctor, and said it, I'd go, "Yeah, right." Yeah, you'd still, you're, you're going to be, be dead before I am. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be on lipid. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he was already on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's. I mean, because you know, interesting. You're talking about planning, and you talk, and and I'm, I'm. You know, I got a couple questions about 
um, you know, those, those simple game plans. But before I do that, let me go back mm-hmm. to something you said, and that is um, sure. you, you, you boiled it down when COVID hit to 24 hours. Did you, did you, yep. you or your, tell your clients, listen, I, you're looking at things in a year's time. You, you got to scrap that right now. We're like 24 hours. So were that, was that 24 hours still a derivation of that year or was it, let's put the year on the shelf for now and let's look at the 24 hours. Yeah. You're not going to be around the year. You need to look at the next 24 hours and figure out what you're going to do every day going forward. Yeah. And so, yeah, when, when you went, when you're in the middle of a crisis and you're in a two minute drill, you don't pretend you can take your time. And some people didn't do anything and didn't respond and they went away. Right. Yeah. Do you have um, clients that you're telling now, like, Hey, do you have a little bit more clarity? Like, Hey, you know, things are changing and, you know, maybe the vaccines mm-hmm. coming and, you know, I mean, are, are you, yeah. you know, it's, it's, we're still away a year away from normal in anybody's view that I know. Right. right. So, you know, the fact that, Oh no, you know, all the old people will have a vaccine. It'll all be back to normal, you know, bullshit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, the I travel agree. industry is not coming back. The hospitality industry is not coming back right now. I wouldn't want to own a hotel right today. Right. But there's a lot of companies buying them. <laughs> right. So they're preparing for the, for the next wave. The pent up demand and the cash and the capital that are sitting on the sidelines right now are amazing. Right. There's so much money sitting around as long as our government doesn't screw it up we'll have an opportunity for a great economy yeah i mean i i told my son that you know we were i was using the analogy of and uh, you know he's been lucky because he plays in this junior league they moved the whole league down to to Tampa for six weeks and he's been able to play yeah. through this. And we were talking about the stories and that kind of stuff. I said, look, it's just like in business. And I've told our clients and, and our readers and, and I've said, listen, someone's going to emerge from this. Someone's going to be yeah. looking around thinking, Hey, yeah, I know it's tough, but there's a lot of opportunity out there. And so some oh, things, some norms will change. And so I, you know, so that goes back to, hey, you still, you got to do it. So that's what, I think that the analogy of your life is, you know, yeah, I was a fighter and I did what I had to do to survive on the ice day to day, but I was this lifelong learner and I was kind of planning and I was absorbing and I was, had my eyes wide open. And, and do you, I mean, do you, is that true? I mean, it's, that's what I took from yeah, the book. Yeah, very, right? very much so. And, you know, it's the people now that were prepared for this i mean we were telling companies when everything was going crazy a couple of years ago you need to put away as much cash as you can because times are good but anytime things are too good something bad happens yeah and we were i, I can go back to our start of the year meetings in 2018 2019 and we were telling people don't go out and buy too many companies right now. The prices are stupid. Don't buy too much real estate. The prices are stupid. You need to conserve your cash and start building your cash and working on your net income, not your growth. Growth is not, a, you know, growth, growth is vanity. Right. <laughs> cash right. is sanity. Right. So don't 
you know, go win all the awards and grow your company out of business. You need to make money and focus on that and put it away, put it away. And so, you know, the people we work with have been buyers over the last six months. Mm -hmm. They're buying companies and they're buying them at greatly reduced prices. And, uh, you know, it's become an opportunity for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, they'll come out, they'll come out. Yeah. They're survivors and survivors are prepared. Yeah. I don't want to give away all the, 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 you know, all the chapters of the different books, but of, of the book, but I, I, you know, going back to this idea of the simple, you know, your junior hockey coach, the John Woodens and the Lombardies, they simplified it and they, they were, um, relentless in their, their game plans of just repeating it. What do you do though? I mean, yep. talk, because you, you talk a lot about teams and you talk about hiring winners, um, uh-huh. And and so I wonder on two sides of that. There's the hey, I got this superstar, and you uh-huh. know because managing a superstar is not easy, right? You know, uh, you know uh, how how a John Wooden managed you know uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? Versus the rest mm-hmm. of the team. I mean, uh-huh. you know, sometimes there's there are people who can take a bunch of average guys and 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 win, mm-hmm. and they all look the same. And then, but, yep. but how do you manage that guy who's got to kind of be a breakout versus then the other guys? Because you talk a little bit about the um, uh, um, the people who are disengaged, right? And, yep. and so maybe you can yep. speak a little bit to that. Yeah. So, you know, anybody who says they treat all their employees or all their players the same is delusional. And I think if you try to treat a Gretzky like a Rollins, Jerry Rollins, right? You're really stupid. You're really <laughs> stupid. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I used to just divide, you know, to be a superstar, you had to be like a Gretzky. So you had to be in my teams, business teams, you had to be humble. Right. You had to be hardworking. You had to be first in last out. That's a superstar. The person that put up the big numbers that had the attitude that was, uh, I used to call them onboard terrorists. <laughs> right. Uh, they were the person who everybody's afraid to fire or say anything to that produces all the revenue, but they're just a pain in the ass and they're total psychos right. and their egos are out of control. You got to have the courage to correct their behavior or fire them. Right. So I fired a couple of the highest paid people that ever worked for me. I terminated them wow. because they were not team players. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And How'd that go down? Oh, it was horrible. You know, one of them sued me wow. and lost. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it didn't, you know, they just, their egos were out of control. And I tried coaching, 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 saying, hey, you know, I spent tons of money coaching them. And trying to fix them, and, you know, they weren't fixable. Their egos were out of control, and if you, one of them's dead, but if you called the other one today, he said it's the dumbest thing he ever did. Wow. But, you know, the other ones that were coachable, you know, I still work with today. They're running companies. That's great. So, you know, you, you, you don't treat all players the same, but, you know, Wooden did kind of treat all of his players the same, and he got away with it. But, yeah. He was a college coach. The difference between college coach and a professional coach is the difference between running a pretend company and a real company. Right. College coaches have new players over four years. 
And if you've got a great system and a great organization, you can be Attila the Hun and be successful. Right. And we've seen it. Right. You take that same guy, put him in the pros, and he gets fired every couple of years. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, you know, college, many college coaches. Now, I'm not putting Wooden in that group. He could have been a great pro coach. He just didn't need to be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, many, many of these Attila the Hun college coaches can't get away with those behaviors in the pro ranks. Right. So yeah. they could never really run a company either because you can't treat people badly and get away with it. The command and control school of management left town a lot of years ago. Right. Exactly. Talk and about the... Some talk, people have recognized it. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, it again, it underscores this idea that you were talking about earlier of constant learning and reading, you know, reading guys mm -hmm. like Wooden and Lombardi and... and yeah. um, and And doing a little bit of self-development and mentoring and educate yourself. We, you know, technology has put so much information at our fingertips that we, you know, we haven't stepped away. And, you know, when you, when you sit down with a good book, I mean, you're engaged, you know, and, yeah. and, and we need to do that. That goes back to the values thing you were talking about. And so, yeah. Um, talk about engage. So the engagement, you know, those the, of your, of teams, you do get a lot of people right now that, mm -hmm. I think engagement is down. I, I feel like yeah. there's this malaise over the world. And and so even well, of course. prior to this, there was, you know, you had your people that were high high engaged. I can't remember what the percentage was, maybe 37% yeah, you yeah. said. And then, then the rest is disengaged. Yeah. And the bottom is like, you know, woefully disengaged. They're, they're, actually... trying, they're trying to blow up your company and rob from you any way they can. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's it's about society. And I don't care where you go, you can see it. If you go to the post office, you can see a tremendously motivated employee sitting next to somebody, you know, and they're handling five clients per every 10 minutes and the other person's handling one every 10 minutes. Right. They just don't care. So, you know, it's leadership's responsibility to be vigilant to that all the time, all right. the time, meaning you need to upgrade your team, but you need to upgrade yourself right. first. And if you're not a constant learner and you're not constantly getting better and you're not staying ahead of the game, how can you expect your people to? So, you you know, you've got to lead by example. Right. So, yeah. You know, um, the old, you know, your parents, you know, uh, telling you what to do when they didn't do it, you know, it, it's not okay. You have to, you have to, as a leader, you have to actually practice what you preach. Well, I, I appreciate that on so many different levels. You know, mm -hmm. I, again, I, yep. we're all trying to shepherd our loved ones through this time and, and including yep. our yep. employees. And, and, and sometimes it's when they see us, quickly go to the immediate gratification of the of the device or um huh? or if we're negative or bitching and moaning i mean that's you're you're exactly right you right you, that they they're everybody's watching and and so um um that's tough. Leadership's tough. And you and you talk about management being yep. tough. I was struck by that because yep. you know yep. I I told my son that um you know we were talking about trying to stand out and, 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 um, mm -hmm. it's hard, 
you, you know, you got to look yourself sure. in the mirror and it's not for everybody. Yep. You know, there's people in these, uh-uh. in the, in these roles, managing businesses, whether they're in the leadership roles or in management, they, they, a lot of people right now have to look themselves in the mirror and say, you know, is this really all what I want? Because again, that talks about you. You yeah. talk about motivation in your book too, right? Yeah, I think I think there's going to be more change in people's careers through this two three year period than there's ever been in history. Part of it is going to be caused by companies, and part of it is going to be caused by employees. Employees are going to say, "This is not what I want to do or who I want to be. I'm going to be something else." Mm-hmm. And so I think there's going to be a giant evolution of people in business. I think there's going to be a huge migration of people out of certain areas to other areas because of remote workability. I think it's going to change the complexion and the population basis of this country. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I think we'll see, I think we'll see a lot of change. The, at, at an unbridled rate compared to the past. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm I'm still hopeful, like you said, having faith that sure. we'll, we'll embrace the right values. And because yeah. you don't, because people have to realize that there's there's sacrifices. I was telling my son, right? You look at hockey, for example, and and he's. Uh, he's got skill, you know. He's he's got God-given ability, uh-huh. and 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 um, but that doesn't mean shit if he's if he's not willing to be like you said that last in, first out guy, uh, yeah. or and yeah. and um, uh, I'm sorry, first in, last out guy, um, and yeah. and yeah. so um, y- you know we all have to realize that that the the world because we've had more stuff than we've ever had. Over the course of the last yeah. couple of decades, and 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 uh-huh. and so I worry that it, that motivation piece that you talk about, that people still have that drive. Um, well, I, you can't give it to somebody, and you can't train it in. You can demotivate people. You cannot motivate them. Okay. You can demotivate people. You cannot motivate them. You can only hang out hire, be around motivated people. Right, right. You can't make people be motivated. When I hear that, oh, we got to have a contest to motivate people. No, you don't. You need to hire motivated people. <laughs> yeah, they got to be intrinsically <laughs> driven. Yeah, if, if they don't have that drive and you don't create that opportunity and environment, motivated people will go away and demotivated people will flock to you. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> so so I, I heard a CEO years ago say, three years ago, I remember sitting in the room and he said, you know, I hire these people and they're all tens. And three <laughs> months later, they're gone. <laughs> and you know what I thought? And I never voiced this to him. I've said it to you and many other people because I haven't identified this person. I looked at him and I went, you know what? A players don't work for C leaders. Right. And you're a C leader. If that, really you're a D and you suck. <laughs> right. Right. That's what I was thinking as I was looking at him. He sucked. I mean, he was really bad. 
he's made money and he, but he's got constant turnover. And was a guy yeah. like that because he just he, he himself wasn't working his head off he's and just and, he he has no self-awareness or self-actualization. Yeah. He thinks he's the game and everybody else sucks. Yeah. And he goes out and hires people that he thinks are great and they suck 90 days later. Well, it's because he sucks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, I mean, I, and I love that. And I think that comes through in your, in your, in your book, right? I mean, I mean, as a, a you know, hockey's yeah. a little bit of a no nonsense game and, and being a, an enforcer yeah. is a, is a no nonsense, you yeah. know, you gotta be tough. And, and so, uh, it doesn't mean yeah. that you, um, you obviously had a lot of charisma, which I think is important. You talked about that. Um, you got to be able to engage with it, others. It, I think it. I think it developed over time. I don't think I was specifically born with it. But hey, I do need to mention. I've got a bolt in about one minute. No, listen. Are that's we this. Okay? Is, yeah, we are great. We are great. This has been unbelievable. Cool. I'm, I'm sorry you for the call uh, me anytime. Love yeah, talking to you. Yeah, me too. I'll. Uh, I would. I would love to do that. I will. Um, a follow up, you know, maybe we'll have a, just a because cool. uh, we got to have a hockey talk. I love the business stuff; it's great. But you know, you really, uh, I love the book. I'm going to share it with everybody, and um, congratulations cool. on it. And uh, I'll reach back out. You're a good man. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed our talk. All right, Jerry. Take care. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jerry Rollins. I can't thank him enough for spending some time. He's a busy guy. He's got a lot of big-time clients. And he's a big-timer in my mind. Obviously, you know, you had me at hockey. And his stories, I think, could probably uh, go on for days. I I think that's a big, big lesson. I personally believe that we all need stories. We all need experiences. And I do worry about the next generation and their ability to share stories, but we all are captivated when someone can kind of paint a picture and we don't have to Google it. You know, we can kind of be in the moment and listen. And so when he's talking about his life and he does that so well in the book, the first part of the book is really kind of cool. You can feel and smell the essence of where he grew up and the rinks that he played at and and being this fighter and this young kid just kind of learning on the go and figuring it out and think about how brave and courageous you had to be to do that. And he just knew how to stay in the game in the moment. And But then to see him transform his life by learning and sponging and engaging people and planning. His book talks a lot about people, teams, the recipe for success it's all really really good stuff and and with a nice backdrop of his uh his his hockey life it uh, it makes for a really good read again the book is enforcer to entrepreneur achieving hockey stick growth in life business and sports and i just uh, i can't wait to talk to him again and i hope you really enjoyed that conversation my thanks to ap tech for sponsoring this i, the, I really do believe passionately that that these guys are doing really, really good stuff for this industry. I know it's a tough time out there and continues to be ambiguous, but they're being proactive. 
and they are building communities. You need to learn more. You need to get in touch with AP Tech because membership there is is really valuable. But more importantly, they're doing work that you guys need to be done. They're building these communities in the higher education segment, in the health and wellness segment, food and beverage, and, and on and on so that they can ultimately connect you with those communities, those clients, those opportunities. So please visit printtechnologies.org to, to hear more. I can't thank you guys enough. I know it's been tough times, but listen, you got to be a fighter. You got to take a page from Jerry. You got to fight. You got to push forward. You know, I always talk about being the buffalo, but you got to push forward. That's, that's, it's, there's good stuff on the other side of this. And I really have a lot of faith. You know, Jerry talked about that. I, I have a lot of faith and hope that things are going to do well. And listen, I'll, I'll leave you with this. There are people in companies who are going to emerge from this very successful. Hopefully you're one of them. Hopefully you got your head on a swivel just like a you're in a hockey fight and you're assessing the situation and you're charging forward. So I wish you all the best. And until next time, be the buffalo. Take care.